There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's US Open Round 1 catch-up, Stefanos Tsitsipas wins a feisty encounter with Andy Murray. Radu Kanu rolls on into round two. And Coco Goff sets up a Sloane Stevens showdown. Kim, what a start we have had at the US Open. We are only 1.5 days in to Flushing Meadows and we've already had some massive controversy, some massive aggro and some massive debates that we need to talk about at Passing Shot HQ. And there is only really one place we can start with our round one, round by round coverage. And that, of, of course, is the match from day one, Stefanos Tsitsipas versus Andy Murray. I mean, wow, where to start with this match? Because there are so many different entry points and we're going to have to start with the the toilet break, aren't we? We are going to have to start in the toilet um, (laughs) or as other players have been putting it, the moon uh, or someone's magical place. Perhaps various um, euphemisms could be used for that toilet going forwards. But um, yes, uh, it has sort of taken the... Uh, not the gloss, but the um, most of the emphasis has been, you know, away from the actual tennis that we saw and onto toilet gate because, um, you know, Murray wasn't very pleased. Murray fans weren't very pleased. And, you know, a lot of general tennis fans also weren't very pleased with Sitsipas taking an incredibly long uh, toilet break just before that that fifth set decider. Um, h- how many minutes did it did it was it about eight minutes long his, yep. his toilet break which people think is unreal unrealistic and unreasonable yeah it was eight well it was probably five minutes too long uh in Andy Murray's point of view now we've got to say in the rule book there is no guidance on the limit of how long that second toilet break can be and I think there is vagueness there that you know, probably needs to be made more explicit, I think, by the the rule makers of, of tennis, because this is getting out of hand. It looks a bit silly. We've seen it, you know, this isn't like the first match. We've obviously seen this before. We, you know, tactical timeouts have been, you know, something that we've seen, you know, on the ATP tour. We've seen it on the WTA tour. And again, it was a bit, it became a bit farcical. And for Andy Murray, he, you know, in his words, he lost respect uh, for Stefanos Tsitsipas when he took that break and given the the amount of time it took and Tsitsipas came through in that fifth set 6-4 but really Andy Murray was not letting toilet gate disappear into the night he really was not happy with kind of how that situation uh, developed and you know for someone like Tsitsipas who is as I said the number three seed one of the top players in the world for Andy Murray that wasn't a good look for him. Yeah, I mean, Andy Murray today has tweeted and, you know, Andy Murray is a bit of a gem on Twitter. You know, he mm. comes up with a lot of good stuff and often, you know, to the defense of people. But <laughs> his tweet today, 
Um, he said, fact of the day, it takes Stefano Tsitsipas twice as long to go to the bathroom as it takes Jeff Bezos to fly into space. Interesting. <laughs> Which has been doing the rounds, getting a lot of retweets, as, as you would expect. Twitter, Kim. It broke tennis <laughs> Twitter, I think. I mean, we should just explain maybe to people who didn't watch the match, like why Andy would be so annoyed. And it's because he genuinely felt that he could have perhaps won this match you know he was playing at such mm. a high level of tennis the highest level we've seen him play in, in years probably and like he could genuinely have won the match and I'm not you know he hasn't said that he definitely would have won the match if it hadn't been for this toilet break but he does feel it influenced the result and, and influenced that fifth set but you know he was a set up he was two sets to one up um, and he really was in with a, a massive shot it was surprising he really should have been two sets up, let's be honest. He had set points in that tie break in the second set. And, you know, potentially that could have been curtains, I think, for someone like Stefanos Tsitsipas, who I still think is quite, is, you know, of, of the chasing pack between, you know, him, Zverev and Medvedev. I do think he is the most fragile uh, when it comes to, you know, situations. And if a player does get on top of him, I sometimes don't really see how he can come back come can come back from the brink but again this was a very impressive on paper a very impressive win from him in the sense that you know he wasn't in the lead until that fifth set you know Andy Murray was always you know he was a setup he was two sets to one up and you know Sissipas didn't let that uh, ultimately get the the better of him and in that fifth set when he did when he did break he really did shut the door on 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 Murray and although Murray you know had you know, moments where there were, were opportunities. Sissipas did well to stay calm and collected, particularly because the crowd was very, very pro-Murray. And Sissipas mm. was very, you know, wasn't as vocal. He was quite, he wasn't as very uh, emotional on court. He was very silent and just getting on with the business. And, you know, in that sense, it was a very, very good win for him. But it certainly has been overshadowed by his his antics on court and I think another sort of fascinating dynamic to this is the fact that you know going into this match I think that you know the pretext was about the fact that you know these are two players who have very different uh, mindsets in terms of the the vaccination rollout you know Andy Murray's been very you know vocal about how players should be getting the vaccine whereas you know Sispas in the last few weeks has been one of those players who has had let's be honest one of the most uh, you know opposite kind of point of views but by the end of it, we, that was not the, no, that's not what we were talking about. We were talking about kind of the, the tactics going on. And a lot of people will look at what Sissipas did and, the, you know, his strategy and, you know, how he took that toilet break. And for some Maori fans, it will feel like it was a bit desperate. It was a bit underhanded. And, you know, it was within the rules. And that's what, you know, he said in his press conference. And he said, look, if Andy Murray isn't happy, he should come and talk to me about it. But I think there's a level of respect, I think, that Andy Murray, wanted to see more from Sissipas. And, you know, from this match, I think Andy Murray's takeout of Stefanos Sissipas is that he didn't show him any respect. And you could tell, you could tell at the net after the match with the the handshake, which was very frosty. It was very, <laughs> it was very short. Uh, you could tell that there is no, there is no love lost there. And this is a beef that I think, this was a beef that I think could go on into next season. And, you know, Andy Murray played fantastic tennis and, as you said, this is something that we've not seen from him, you know, in a few in a few years. It felt like we were going back to 2016, 2017. And again, it does give him confidence, I think, for the future and for next season. I know it ended in a loss, but the way he went out, it just it, it still 
gave I think a lot of a lot of people that confidence that he can still do this even with a metal hip Kim yeah exactly and I mean a lot of people beforehand were wondering you know how many games he might win like Mm. it could have been truly embarrassing so I was completely shocked when he won that first set 6-2 and then I felt silly for being shocked because you know it is Andy Murray like we know where how talented he is like metal hip or otherwise so um for me yeah I think the issue with the sits pass going to the loo it's you know like you said it's in the rules and if it was just the, a once off, you know, and he, this was the only time we'd really seen him do it, then you mm. could say, okay, well, maybe genuinely, like he's got an upset stomach, like, you know, he had to go and take a bit more time, like, you know, because these things happen. And maybe that's why there isn't an, an arbitrary sort of four minute rule where you've got to be in and out in, you know, in four minutes, because it doesn't allow for those sort of occasions where people genuinely do need more time, especially, I would say, more on the women's side of things. Um, but I think like Zverev was asked in his press conference today about it and he was kind of implying that, you know, Sitzbass does this all the time. Um, and he did that when they played in Cincinnati and it's, you know, he comes out and it, his tactics have suddenly changed. And I mean, Zverev was seeming to imply that he might be sort of on his phone in the loo texting his his dad. And I mean, if that's the case, that really isn't on um, because that that's getting coaching on, on, on call you know, or from a loo, like that's not allowed. So it does raise question marks. It does, you know, it is a bit fishy. Um, I do, I understand where Andy Murray is coming from, but I, I do think maybe like it, it is an issue out there. Yeah. I, I just, it did come across as a bit sour grapes, especially his tweet today, but I, I understand that a lot of Andy Murray fans probably hate me potentially for saying that, but I, I, I do feel like, you know, you can't be affected if your opponent takes a long toilet break. You have to just get on with it. And if that's going to let, if that's going to go to your head, like you can't say, like make an excuse because your opponent took more time than they should have done. I was a little bit surprised in terms of how much it ate at Murray in that fifth set. And perhaps, you know, given all of his, given all of his experience on the tour, you would have thought he was been able to to let it go more easily and that wasn't the case you could see some of the the dialogue he was having with the you know the umpire particularly towards the end of the match it was getting you know it was quite cheeky some of the things he was saying I wouldn't have been surprised if uh, you know he got a warning for example but um I do I do wonder if Murray might look back on that and sort of felt like maybe he would be able to kind of compartmentalize that situation and and put it away it's like yes it shouldn't have happened but he needed to kind of you know be able to get on with it and having you know having said that I, I think he played as well as he could in in that fifth set I'm not saying this was you know if that hadn't happened or if it had gone you know better that he you know he could have come out with the victory but I certainly feel like there might be he might look at that and think you know I I, I now get that Sissipas might do this but I, I can't let it affect me and you know the, as for the kind of the tweet today it, you know it is caused a bit of a stir we've seen you know some players side with Andy Murray I saw uh Marketa von Drusova on on her Instagram uh, call out and agree with Andy Murray. I think Andy Roddick is of the the same opinion. Um, I think you know on other matches as well. Uh, you know Francis Tiafo was in a, a same situation and he was <laughs> the commentate the commentary team were timing him in terms of how long he was taking and it was like a it was a quick three minute job off and then back on. Um, it feels like this is a debate that although maybe it feels quite trivial, I think for a lot of maybe kind of non-seasoned tennis fans. I think for the, the, the tennis fans, it's getting a bit, it's getting, it's quite a, a serious issue because, 
you know, there is, it feels like there is a lot of leeway there now and some players are making as much of it as they can. And I don't want to see necessarily the, the, the lawmakers come in and be kind of like a, almost in a, like a nanny state over, over the players, but there certainly seems to, feels like there needs to be more guidelines because this, this issue is in the spotlight if we like it or not. Um, and I think it, it does need to be addressed for, you know, f- either for, you know, probably for, for next season or, or if not sooner. Yeah, I mean, some players literally are taking the piss or or not pissing. I don't know. But whatever <laughs> they're doing in that loo, we'll never know. But uh, some players take their sweet time and that, you know, maybe for various reasons. But um, I'm sure for the rest of the tournament, everyone will be timing Stefanos's loo breaks uh, with great interest. And Kim, I mean, to- just talking on the on the Zverev situation as well, because I think, you know, for one thing, you know, taking time in a loo and, you know, refocusing yourself is one thing, but to get coaching, that is a separate and more serious thing. And if that is happening, then I certainly think that there should be implications if it can be proven. But obviously we've got to, you know, got to give him the benefit of the doubt you know this is innocent until proven guilty stuff and you know it's it's funny that Zverev kind of raised these comments because we've got the Labour Cup coming up and that I think is it's just going to make it more fascinating the fact that they're going to be playing on the same team I mean how are they going to react when you know they've been going at each other uh you know in their press conferences I do I do genuinely think it's all sort of bubbling up and it could it could spill out and I think the the, the Labour Cup could be again an event where Yes, it's it's Team Europe versus Team World, but I also sort of think it could be Team U- Team Europe versus Team Europe, given the the personalities on the on the team. I think Casper Ruud will have to play like peacekeeper <laughs> within Team Europe. <laughs> Kim, that would be a bad situation if Casper Ruud is having to play peacekeeper in the uh, the Team Europe team. He seems a well-rounded individual. But anyway, um, so Andy Murray is out, uh, you know, difficult draw. He did much better than we thought he would, but he he is a goner, I'm afraid. Um, also, we had quite a bad first day for British players generally because we had Cam Norrie losing to Carlos Alcaraz. You know, I did think that would be quite a tough match, but mm. I I didn't straight expect... Sets. Yeah, I didn't expect straight sets, I have to say. I feel like Norrie had such a good start to his hardcore swing. and sort it just really. Out fizzled out massively um joe conta didn't even take to the court uh she pulled out with a thigh injury beforehand so her her run of well you know not well she's not even really getting onto the court to play at the moment she's she's doing a bit of an andreesque at the moment isn't she and i mean she's not played the last she's not played half the grand slams this year exactly so just awful uh you know really bad luck for joe um and then we also had heather watson losing to kaya yuvan that was quite a standard Straight sets affair. Harriet Dart, she she had a good match though. She was a set and a break up over Caroline Garcia. And then it all kind of quickly unraveled. And before you knew it, she was four love down in that third set. Um, so bit of a shame. We had quite a lot of Brits in action, but they all lost, except for Dan Evans, Joel, because he did manage to get through, didn't he? Yeah, Dan Evans, uh, there was a shining light there on, on day one with Dan Evans coming through against Tiago Montero. It was quite an impressive win, actually, because again, I think, Dan Evans has not really had the greatest of, of build-ups. I think he's still trying to search for full fitness, um, you know, coming back from that positive COVID test. And when you're in the the heat and humidity of, of New York City, that is not the nicest environment to be in. And, you know, he came through 6'3", 6'7", 6'4", 6'1". And I did wonder, 
particularly after that second set where you put in a lot of a lot of effort to get to that tie break only to to lose it whether it was going to go south kind of quite quickly from there but I think it was a very hard fought and a very impressive victory particularly I think with the the third and, and fourth set so um yeah it was good to see him get through to the second round because you know we all know Dan Evans struggles with uh consistency I think um for want of a better phrase at at the Grand Slam so it was good to see him get through to the second round and hopefully he can hopefully he can kick on as well absolutely and then we also had um you know going on to a completely different train of thought Joel um quite a lot of interesting matches yesterday with featuring quite a lot of big servers and we know the courts are playing very fast and there's loads of Americans in the draw including a certain John Isner I was quite pleased by this result in particular because he lost to Brandon Nakashima who I've earmarked as one of my young favorites and Nakashima won in straight sets including two surprise surprise tie breaks um what did you make of this? Because, you know, John is just getting on a bit now. Nakashima's much, much younger. He's perhaps the new hope for American tennis, you know, had a, has a, has had a great summer. Um, I didn't actually expect him to win this, but I was really quite pleased when, um, when he came through in, in straight set. Yeah, it was a very impressive victory for, for Nakashima. I mean, we, we, we messaged each other when this draw came out. We thought it was a horrible draw for, for Nakashima. But the fact that, you know, it was a, an all American matchup. With, with the crowd there, that would have made it special for him. The fact that he's there on a wild card uh, and upsetting someone who, you know, who's been around the block, you know, a long time uh, in, in terms of John Isner, got a lot of experience there. And to win two tie breaks as well, because we know one of John Isner's strengths is, you know, being able to maybe not necessarily play his, his best tennis, but always seemingly able to get a tie break, get to a tie break and then take it out. But um, yeah, it was very impressive from him. And, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of media asking, you know, was that a passing of the torch sort of moment between John Isner and, and Brandon Nakashima? Because we are getting to that point where we are getting to those sorts of matches and those sorts of questions. And today we saw Sam Query go out as well. And it really feels like the old, you know, we're coming to a point now with, you know, particularly in the American men's tennis, that the old guard are, you know, regrettably on on their way out. I mean, it didn't even sound like John Isner was too confident about uh, you know, being at the US Open again next year. It might even be his, his finale. But, you know, for the moment, that was a very, very impressive victory for Nakashima. I mean, John Isner is still... I mean, he's still the 19th seed, which is still mm. really, really, really Im- impressive. But um, yeah, it's it's even more so impressive from Nakashima, given the lack of experience that he's had. I mean, he's 16 years younger than John Isner. You know, he's moved into the top 100. It's going to be you know fascinating to see how far he can go. Um, and you know, he will, I think, savor this moment and perhaps look back on it, you know, in in a few years' time as as a moment that you know he will think kind of pushed him to pushed him to new heights yeah he's got a winnable second round as well against Alex Molkan and then mm. possibly uh Kevin Anderson or Diego Schwartzman so I don't know I feel like it could be a dark horse to get through yeah. to a fourth round perhaps um I mean unfortunately we've had I think Seb Calder another young American um he's had mm. some issues today had to had to pull out um think sickness kind of style so a, a real shame for him um we've also got Jensen Brooksby who I know a lot of people have their eye on as well he's he's at playing today um just because of the time difference we haven't even got through like half of day two but we just can't do this at like 4am in the morning sadly 
I'm not sure. I mean, we talk about, as I just, I just brought up, you know, passing of the torch. I don't even know who the torch is getting passed to. Is it Jensen Brooksby? <laughs> is it Nakashima? Is it someone else? Is it Mackenzie McDonald? I know Mackenzie McDonald's a little bit older, but, um, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm still not quite sure. And I'd be interested to, I mean, listeners, any American listeners, who do you see, who do you see more upside on? Do you see it more on, on Nakashima? Do you see it more on Brooksby? Because I, I'm, I'm not, I feel that jury's, you know, still out at the moment, but it's, it still feels it's very exciting times and you know with the the crowds back in new york it certainly feels like a a big opportunity for for one of them to go to go make a name for themselves and hope you know maybe even get through to the the second week absolutely and and the crowds have been you know it's been really nice to see them back again because Mm. this time last year it was you know completely desolate so and that was you know a massive talking point wasn't it because it was kind of the first big event without any crowd so it's you know completely changed change this year but um let's let's look at some of the other kind of um well i so said the old guard you know is now i guess we'd put in that category but we've also had ivo karlovich you know he's he's 42 now the oldest u.s open qualifier in the open era which is which is incredible yeah and he lost to rublev who is 19 years younger so i guess karlovich <laughs> could be his father um but yeah rublev won in straight uh so you know came through and Karlovich is I think is he is he officially retiring perhaps mm. after this was this his his one last hurrah I'm not I'm not sure I think he's just sort of making it up as he go as he goes along he's, he sort of lives to fight I think through qualifying he was sort of live live to fight another day uh was his kind of motto and and he did that and I think you know he he's done very well to get to the to get to the main draw you know obviously Rublev had a bit too much on his day but it's it's great I think it's a great way I think for for Karlovich to go out if this is his last Grand Slam which I believe it is but you know he's been an absolute legend of the game and you know has shown I think you know at 42 years old that is that is seriously impressive and yes I think a lot of people will just think of him as a you know a one-shot player in, in in terms of his his big serve but you know the, the drive and the commitment I think and the passion that you have to have to play tennis at that sort of level until 42 year two years old I think you know there's a lot more to his game than just um just booming aces down the tee and out wide Absolutely. Um, and another player who booms a lot of aces down is Marin Cilic, who unfortunately had a, had to retire from his match against uh, Philip Kohlschreiber. But remarkably, Joel, this was the very first time in his whole career, which consists of 837 matches, that Cilic has actually retired. No. Um, it's almost like I remember one of my old friends at school. She tried to go through all five years of high school without having a single day off. And it's, it's like her doing that. And then on the very last mm. day of the fifth year, like calling in sick. It, it seems such a shame that his record has now been blotted by this match. <laughs> I, d- I didn't catch any of this, but yes, yeah, he must have been massively disappointed. I mean, he was playing against... Uh, another veteran, uh, Philipp mm. Kohlschreiber of, of Germany, who's a very durable opponent. And um, yeah, I don't think Chilich would have been too happy uh, to see that. Um, but yeah, Kohlschreiber has Anduhar in the second round. I mean, one player, Kim, who maybe should have retired during their match is Australia's Nick Kyrgios, who lost to one of your faves, RBA, Roberto Bautista Agut, uh, 6-3, 6-4, 6-love. Um, that third set in particular, when he got bageled, just, you know, it was all the old Nick Kyrgios of just didn't, he just did not look like he wanted to be there. And, 
you know, the fact that he only won seven games, I think, says a lot about the you know the performance he put on court. And I think maybe where his head was at for this slam, I don't you know, I don't obviously know the you know the reasons for that, but I think I think uh, by number of games won, that was that was his worst performance um, in a Grand Slam singles event. Yeah, compared to like how he turned up at Wimbledon and you know seemed mm. to be having a whale of a time for the first yeah. you know two matches until he had to to pull out. You know, Australian Open when he beat. You know, mm. Dominic team complete, complete world away from, uh, you know, that situation on earlier in the season. Yeah. And RBA is a, you know, very solid opponent and, um, you know, plays very high level consistently. Yeah. So not the most ideal opponent for Kyrgios. He probably would have wanted someone who was also quite mentally unstable on a court, you know, going up and down. I think he was a bit like <laughs> RBA is just getting everything back. He's an absolute wall. And I, yeah, he ran, maybe he ran out of ideas pretty quickly. And yeah, that, that is maybe why it, it went so routinely. I mean, one hour, 48 minutes. I think we were all expecting that to be a lot more competitive than it was. Yes, I did think it might have had five sets written all over it, but mm. how wrong that <laughs> turned out to be. Um, we did have a good five setter with uh, Kevin Anderson and Yuri Vesely, though. And surprise, surprise, that featured three tie breaks all of which Kevin Anderson won and he also served up 49 aces which I think was his career best in a in mm. a match so still going strong um as is is old Kevin <laughs> um and then I guess finally we had a bit of um you know action from Casper Ruud he's he's came through um very impressively in his first round although the most notable thing perhaps to report from his match was the fact that his shoe um and it came off and he had to play a point with with one shoe, which um, they, they didn't play a let, um, which is surprising. That was a bit of a debatable yeah. point. Should they have played a let? Should they not? I loved I loved Casper Rude's honesty because he came out after the match on Twitter uh, to say, should this have been a let? I didn't think about it at the time. And I'm asking because I'm not really sure what the rule is. So listeners, if you want to judge for yourself whether it should have been a let, um, go on to Casper Rude's Twitter and you can see the, the video. But um yeah, I think it definitely should have. It reminded me of, uh, you know, from, you know, what, a few years ago now, where I think it was Venus Williams when she had the, you know, the braids look in her hair and, or, or the beads, and the beads basically the bead. were falling out. Mm. Yeah, they were falling out on court. And I think the technical rule is uh, if it happens once, then you play a let. But if it happens again, then you get a point penalty. So I think because his shoe fell off and that was the first time it fell off, I think it should have been a let. But if if his, his shoe came off again, then I think it would have been a point penalty. But um, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, he, you know, there's, there's going to be more serious matches for him, you know, no doubt ahead. And he can you know, just look back and laugh on that, on that point. But I would have, I would have said it, it was a let, but you know, listeners have a look and let us know what, what you think. I mean, talking of shoes, uh, I think Andy Murray was asking for some extra pairs to be brought out to him from like the centre of Manhattan because he didn't have enough with him. So, which also surprised me because I would have thought you'd pack plenty of spares, but apparently it was, it's not the first time that's happened. But um, <laughs> move, moving on from shoes, let's talk about the women's draw from day one because we had a match of, you know, former, well, it was a former, a former US Open final from 2017. We had Sloane Stevens against Madison Keys and that went down to the wire as 
many of us thought it perhaps it might you know they've kind of you know they've both slipped down the rankings they're kind of in the 40s and 60s of the world now you know not right at the top of the game like they used to be so it could really have gone either way and it went down to a last set tie break and Sloane Stevens edged it 9-7 in that tie break so really really close affair they both played pretty well and I, I think even you know Madison Keys was very um pleased with how she performed in the match and obviously it's a really tough draw for for both of them so wasn't going to be easy either way but that was a great match to get our teeth into on on day one I thought definitely and again another all-american matchup for the fans to also sink their teeth into and yeah very hard section of the draw because uh, Stone Stevens will go on to face Coco Goff who came through Magda Lynette who's very 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 tough Polish player but yeah that is going to be very another very exciting all-american uh, matchup but yeah I think it was a great you know it, it's 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 just funny to see how you know a Grand Slam final from you know a few years ago ends up being a round one match and to be honest I think the performances of both of them reminded me more or it showed me at least glimpses I think of of where they were at as opposed to where they are now. And, you know, it was interesting to hear Keyes in her post-match uh, press conference afterwards say, you know, I left everything out there and, hey, if, you know, if I lost, lost that, that's absolutely fine. But I think she was pretty happy in terms of the you know, performance she put out there because she's not necessarily been able to to put it, to put it together that consistently, I feel like, over the last, you know, arguably since the, you know, since the the reset but um yeah it was a good it was a good match and again Sloane Stevens versus Coco Goff that is going to be another fascinating encounter and you know you'd, you'd probably put Coco Goff as the you know the slight favorite but you still think Sloane Stevens if she can sort of tap into you know her US Open winning run from 2017 uh you know she could you know she could potentially cause an upset there but again I think that is going to be Another another really fun match, I think, that the crowd are going to absolutely, absolutely going to lap up from, from the first point to the last. I mean, if Stevens does come through, she may then face Kerber and then after that, mm. potentially Osaka. So if Stevens is going to perhaps go on a run, she would have like the toughest draw going <laughs> yep. in, in a slam, perhaps possible, um, if she if she's to come through that. So it, it just shows you like, you know, if you're unseeded, no matter where you've been, if you're unseeded, you just... You're just out. You're just out there for the wolves, aren't you? And you can just get the most horrible draw possible. We saw that with Andy Murray again. You know, passed in the first round, and I think we saw it in this particularly at this in this section of the draw on the women's side. Yeah, and and like Mont- Von Drusova, I think I said this in our preview. Like she's not seeded anymore, and mm. she's got Kasatkina in the second round. You know, they they both won their first round, yep. but like she's not someone you know that you want to play this early in a slam. Like she's the you know Olympic silver medalist. So yeah, it's it's not nice, is it? And um, we had an, another really tight matchup with Garbina Muguruza against Donna Vekic who you know we all know Donna Vekic is not someone you want to play really first round of a slam she's such a fighter and has been you know to the quarterfinals here actually like quite recently about two years ago so um, this was a very tough first rounder for Muguruza she came through in two tiebreak sets um, but she was yeah a breakdown in that first set um Vekic kind of staged a bit of a comeback in the second set so it was really hard fought um quite quite a lengthy match and um you know Muguruza just edging it um in the end but like you know I I haven't really predicted her for this tournament and I didn't realize um I I didn't really have a particular reason for that but perhaps subconsciously I knew that she she doesn't have a very good record here does she Joel she's not gone beyond I think the fourth round no I know I've 
that that was a, that was something that surprised me when I was reading my kind of preview notes for for this matchup because she's got one single round of sixteen appearance in twenty seventeen, which is her career best performance here. And you look at Muguruza's game, you just feel like it's it's well suited. I mean, she's I think it's well suited to be honest across all of the the court surfaces, but it, it definitely feels like she needs to make a you know she needs to do better than that. She is a better she is a better quality player than you know one solitary round of 16 showing and you know who knows maybe it is this year and maybe she needed uh you know a, an opponent of the quality of Donna Vekic in round one to get you know to get her going because that was a really really tough match I mean Vekic yes she's like you know around kind of in the you know the 50s I think in terms of her ranking but she's been you know former top 20 US Open quarter finalist you know I think that actually was a very good start for Muguruza and the fact that she was able to get it done in two I think she'll be very pleasantly pleased with that. Yeah and potentially still on for a third round with a Victoria Azarenka if they mm. both get through their next matches. Another um, reason I was happy that happened. <laughs> yes because that's like your two Kind of your two favourites, isn't it, if they were to Mm. meet? Um, But we also had Simona Halep back uh, and winning, which was nice to see. She also had a very tough matchup with um, Camilla Georgie, who obviously very recently um, won, you know, the biggest title of her career and has been in awesome form. I mean, that's a real tough first round for for Georgie as well, because she would have obviously been hoping to make a bit of a, a run, perhaps, you know, get a few wins under her belt here. But, you know, Halep kind of... Pushing her, um, you know, batting her away, six four seven six um, straight sets in the end for Halep. So big, big sigh of relief for I think a lot of Simona Halep fans with that one. And we also had Sabalenka, the second seed, come through. Little bit of a wobble in that second set. She lost the the second set on a tiebreak, but came absolutely storming back and won the third set in a bagel against the Serb Nina Stojanovic. So she won six four six seven six love. Uh, we also had, we just spoke about Azarenka. She beat uh, Martinkova of the Czech Republic, 6-4, 6-love. And then we had Kerber as well, another Grand Slam champion. Uh, she was up against Diana Yastrzemska. And I knew, Kim, there was going to be some Yastrzemska antics in this match. And they nearly paid dividends for her. She was 5-3 up in the third set. And it was looking like one of our collector set picks was was going to go out early, but Kerber kind of stormed back and she was able to win it in a final set tiebreak. So very good, very good win there for Kerber. And yeah, I'm, I, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a, a surprise to tell you, Kim. I'm pretty sure Yastrzemska had an eight minute uh, eight minute um, toilet break, uh, sorry, bathroom break uh, as as part of a match as well. God, she she should get on the phone with Sitsipas. They could have a little <laughs> yeah. session, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Sitsipas is is speaking to his dad when he's coaching. He's probably speaking to uh, Yastremska for all of the for all the coaching tips. <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> I mean, another player that I remember doing quite a lot of loo breaks was Krachikova, and um, I mean, she she won her her match quite comfortably. But I think in that fr- the French Open final this year, I remember she took a long one. Uh, after the second set and people were again there was a bit of hoo-ha about that but um, I mean I think the the most epic win though yesterday on the women's side was from Elise Mertens though Joel because
because she beat um, Rebecca Peterson of Sweden, saving six match points. So three, six, seven, six, seven, six. Um, really tough battle. I think it was three hours and 40 minutes, um, which has got to be, you know, one of the longest women's matches we've seen at the US Open. Um, I mean, Peterson will be kind of kicking herself. I think she served a double four in one of her match points. It was, um, you know, very, very close, but Merton's, you know, hung on and um, did what she needed to do right at the end. I thought, Kim, we were going to get a moment where Elise Merton's wasn't going to reach the round four of a Grand Slam for the first time or what or what seemingly feels like uh, the first time because she's such a consistent performer and the idea of Elise Merton's going out in round one at Grand Slam that just does not it just does not compute I feel like with me the fact that you know she is a player of you know she's a player of model I think consistency maybe not necessarily getting to you know semi-final or a final but certainly to the you know, the round of 16 or even a, a quarterfinal. So, um, yeah, it, she was she was very much on the brink there. And I thought, you know, maybe Peterson was going to be able to do it. But, you know, all credit to, to Mertens for coming through that because, yeah, that was a tough match. And again, I watched the, the final the final point to see that the relief, I think, that Mertens showed after coming through that. It, you know, you could tell that she was she was in a battle and, it will be fascinating to see how she can prepare or if she can prepare for her next match because because of the time she spent on court. Yeah, because it's it's very hot conditions. It's not yeah, easy. Um it's not so it's not really conditions that you want to be having almost four hour long match in, but we'll see how she gets on. Uh, but let's just take a quick break now. Uh, we'll be back in the second half to look back on today's action so far from day two. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to today's action so far, Joel. We're recording this on Tuesday night, UK time. So we've had we've had still quite a lot of tennis so far today. I mean, perhaps let's begin with the men's side because one of our lovely collector set uh, contenders, Karen Hatchnov, is already out. Um, oh, so I think the vast majority, <laughs> the vast majority of people have got him wrong. It's fair to say on our collector set. Um, but he lost to one of your favorites, Joel Lloyd Harris in, in five sets. So, um, I think you'll be, you know, quite pleased for Harris. You know, he's had some good wins this summer and, uh, this is yet another one of them. I mean, it was on paper. I think a lot of people who know tennis follow tennis were looking at this match as one of the you know one of the highlights I think of the first round because you know Kachanov having won the Olympic kind of silver medal reaching a Wimbledon quarterfinal as well against one of the you know the standout players I think in terms of Lloyd Harris you know this season in terms of a breakthrough I think we'll all kind of remember him for that match with uh, Nadal that he had earlier on in the you know the American hardcore series but um, yeah it was a you know, it went five sets. I don't think Kachanov was himself by the end of it. I think he had quite a nasty fall, you know, as as part as the match kind of went on, which I don't think helped him. But certainly Lloyd Harris is just one of those players who you just do not want to face. Unseeded, very dangerous, big serve. I do think, you know, he is susceptible, I think, to potentially going a little bit kind of walkabout in matches. I think that's what made this arguably more impressive. The fact that he was two sets to one down, he was able to kind of come through. But it, it maybe felt like a, yeah, a little maybe a little bit like a step too far for Kachanov, who, you know, I thought was going to be 
riding on a wave of confidence from you know what he did at the Olympics and <laughs> I had him getting to the semi-finals in my collect set and in my predictions but you know when you're coming up against Lloyd Harris in round one in the heat he just does not give you, you know, a lot of chances and he is very um, assured and composed and it was it was impressive I think despite the you know the adversity and the the situation that he was in at, at two sets to one down he was was able to find a way to to come through. Yeah, and bad luck for Kachanov if he, you know, did pick up an injury during during the mm. match. And um, also, like we mentioned earlier, tough for, for Seb Calder as well, um, having to retire to Basilashvili um, today as well. Um, I mean, one person who safely threw, um, Sasha Zverev, very methodical straight set victory today over Sam Query. I mean, his serve looked really impressive today. I think he lost only five points on his first serve in the whole match. So if he's going to carry on serving like that, he should be on his way through to the latter stages without too many issues but we know that Zverev serve can have a an off day I think it's fair to say so we will we'll wait and see on that one I honestly think if Zverev is going to win if Zverev big if is going to win the US Open his serve is going to be one of the reasons for that because it is such a it's such a big weapon for him and I would say it's a bigger weapon than any of what Medvedev has I'd still have Medvedev as that second favorite behind Djokovic but certainly when Zverev's serve is on I mean you know today against Query he hit 18 aces he lost just five points on his first serve in the entire match Query didn't have a single break point it was very ruthless and effective and I think it was a very it was very very good I think for for Zverev in terms of getting the you know there's still obviously a long way to go but it was a very good and efficient match for him to just go on do the business and get off you know in you know double quick time against a potentially dangerous opponent in front of his hometown um you know in in front of his own american fans so i think he did very well there to 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 see to see that challenge off yeah absolutely i mean i was a bit gutted today joel because caruso who you know in a slam uh, in the main draw i think because of rafa pulling out um funnily enough you know, up against Kane Shigori, a loss. But I mean, what would we expect? But he did get a set. So I thought you would have been buzzing for that set. Well, I mean, it, it was good that he got a set because Nishikori was thrashing him mm, six one six one, and then Kim, I watched <laughs> that first set. It was not a pretty sight. Oh dear, good old Caruso getting obliterated. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he turned it round, and you know, it wasn't to be. But it, you know, he made it closer than it would have been. Uh, but Nishikori fans, of which I know there are many, will be pleased that he got through. Um, but yeah, any long time listeners to the podcast know that Caruso is one of one of our men that Another we. Another time, Kim. Another yes. time. But yeah, maybe back to the maybe back to the challenger circuit for maybe he'll be trying to find a, a challenger event in the second week of the US Open. I'm sure there'll be a few going. Um, and then Battle of the Boys as well, Joel, because we had Lorenzo Massetti up against Emilio Nava, which I think is a repeat of the 2019 US Open Australian boys. Open Australian Open. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Um, and Massetti came out on top, as as I guess you would expect, because he is. Uh, you know, much higher ranked than the American at the moment. Um, so yeah, Massetti's through in in four sets, and it'd be interesting actually to see if Massetti can, you know, yeah. can do anything outside of of a clay slam because yeah, he's obviously got the talent. But we just, I think, we're pigeonholing him into mm. to clay, aren't we, at the moment? Yeah, because he's on a five match losing streak, and uh, you know, but sorry, before you know, winning this match, and again, and a player who I think we do so he just sort of pops up 
It's like Dustin Brown on, on grass courts. I think at the moment, uh, yes, obviously Lorenzo Massetti is still very, very young. But at the moment, it's like, oh, Massetti pops up during the clay court season. You know, remember, we'll remember him for that match he had against Novak Djokovic, um, you know, at the French Open. But uh, yeah, it's good to see him get a win, um, get a win at the US Open. And you know, I think that will do his confidence a world of good. Um, I think he can just sort of swing and see see what happens. I think that's the sort of situation he likes to be in. I know that he loves to to play up to the crowd. And I think a, a free swinging Massetti, I think is the the dangerous sort of opponent that I don't think a lot of players will want to expect. But at the same time, I, you know, he can be a little bit erratic. So again, it'll be a it'll be it'll be intriguing, I think, to see if he can go he can go any further and make more inroads into tournaments outside of the, the clay season. Absolutely. And from one youngster to another, we had Emma Raducanu in action today. Um, you know, young British teenager. She was in action. She was due to face, uh, Jennifer Brady, but she had pulled out. So in came Stephanie Vergele of Switzerland, um, which probably helps Emma. Um, it's fair to say because Emma came through in straight sets. Um, very impressive. I think she was actually a breakdown in each of those sets, fought her way back and, um, Cross the finish line eventually. Uh, that last game, getting over it, was you know, quite long-winded. <laughs> Seven match points. It oh, took, my um... God. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of that Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Wimbledon final in terms of getting over the line. It was a bit like, oh, it was a bit, yeah, it was a bit dicey at some points. But yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad for her because, uh, you know, because, you know, she could have been facing a, a lot, you know, no, no disrespect to Stephanie Vogelay, but she could have been facing Jennifer Brady. And that I think would have been a completely different story. And it was very, very impressive, I think, from Radicanu to be able to, you know, change her game plan for a lucky loser that, you know, she wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have been preparing for and to get it done in straight sets. She's, she is just, she is just a breath of fresh air for British tennis at the moment and really carrying on, um, you know, proving, I think that, you know, that Wimbledon main draw campaign certainly wasn't a a flash in the pan. Yeah, exactly. She's definitely backing up, you know, what we saw from her at at Wimbledon and definitely getting more confident and hopefully won't end the same way as as it did in Wimbledon. But um, yeah, really good to see her get a win. She's the first British teenager to win a match in the main draw here since since Laura Robson, which feels like a long time ago now, doesn't it, Joel? Uh, when Laura Robson kind of went on that run here. But and, and Katie Balter is in action uh, a bit later against Samsonova. So, you know, potentially we could have two um two British girls through, but you know, we'll see. I mean it's a fascinating time at the moment in the for British women because I think with Conta pulling out I think the <laughs> British women's number one is completely up for the grabs. Uh, it feels right now for for the chasing pack. Um, it, it, unfortunately, it feels like we're getting to a point where Conta isn't the, you know, isn't above everyone else. It feels like there's just one big pack, and it could it could, to be honest, be quite interchangeable. I think over the next twelve, you know, twelve months or so, uh, and certainly with Emma Raducanu just storming up the rankings, it it would not surprise me if we're talking about her. Not maybe not necessarily this season, but maybe next season she could maybe certainly push. I think up, up, and up maybe to becoming British kind of women's number one. That's that's the form I feel like she's showing at the moment. But um, yeah, it's been it's been very impressive. And I think I think just one note actually on 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 the women because uh, yes, we have had some some losses, you know, with with obviously Watson and Dart. But we should just say the fact that three British ladies qualified 
for the US Open to get into the main draw, no wild cards, just doing it the hard way. That was very, very impressive from Raducanu, Dart, Katie Balter. And I think they should get a lot of credit for that because before then, <laughs> you know, the list of list of British qualifiers um, at the US Open was was quite was quite small and it had not happened in in a while I think yeah no fantastic to have three three through I don't remember the last time that happened so yeah really good and I think Raducanu is up to about 120 in the world um, so that would be fantastic I could definitely see her yeah potentially becoming British number one, uh, especially if Conta's hopes continue to to sadly go south. But um, let's look at some of the other um, women's uh, events from today. We had Ash Barty coming through against Vera Svonareva. So this was going very swimmingly for her. And then the second set, you know, things got a bit dicey, um, went to a tie break. Ash Barty came through 9-7 in the tie break. Um, Svonareva was putting her under a, a lot more pressure I'm getting a lot more errors off the Barty racket um, in that sort of latter stage of the second set. So, um, you know, Svonareva giving it her all, but not good enough um, to to really do much damage uh, against the top seed today. And um, Barty showing her, you know, her classic variety as well to to come through. Definitely. And we also had uh, the fourth seed, Karolina Pliskova. She came through in a much more routine fashion against Katie McNally of the United States. Uh, it was very easy for her. Three and four. She could face Amanda Anisimova uh, in the next round. That match against Zarina Diaz of Kazakhstan, I think, is on today at some point. So that could be a bit more of a, a sterner test if that does happen. But yeah, very, very good, solid opening victory for for Karolina Pushkova. Yeah, and the Olympic champion, uh, Belinda Bencic, also threw um, over Arantxa Rus in straight sets as well. Um, she's going to be playing Trevisan next, who, you know, made that run to the French Open quarters uh, last yes. year, I think it yep. was. Yeah, so she beat uh, Vanderwey um, today, <laughs> who I think I had randomly said could go on a bit of a run here, <laughs> which was obviously complete, you know, an utter cog bollop. So yes, uh, some of the, 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 the not like no no like massive upsets I would say uh, yet really. Sviontek um, has just started uh, as we're recording this, um, and there's a few other matches going on. I've got PCB on in the background, Joel. Uh, he's he's set, into a fifth he? set. Yeah, mm. honestly, what is he playing at? Um, another match that's in a fifth set, which perhaps had five sets written all over it from the word go, was uh, Andrea Seppi and Martin Fuchsovic. They're at six. <laughs> in a last set tie break at the moment uh-huh. as we are recording so who knows what will happen there um but yeah that that brings us i think kind of to a close um for the first day and a half of, of us open 2021 action and uh, we do have our collector set which is obviously underway karen hatchinov is already out um but we've got uh, a large number of people who have taken part and submitted all their guesses so thank you ever so much to everyone for for doing that uh we'll be posting updates throughout the week uh probably about halfway through the tournament uh, as to how it's going um and joel i think you um well should, should we reveal our prediction yes, for we our shall yeah yeah <laughs> i'll let you lead <laughs> i know i know because you want you want me to give my catching off prediction even though it's completely wrong um yes uh no listeners we made these predictions before round one happened so uh, I have gone for Kim. So we have Djokovic, Kachanov, Rublev, Kerber, Pushkova, Sabalenka. Uh, my 
picks are this. So I've got Novak Djokovic winning. Uh, I think I think he will do it. No surprise there. I had Karen Kachinov get to the semi-finals. So to see him go out in round one, not going to lie, bit gutting. Um, I thought it was a potential banana skin, but I thought he was uh, thought he was going to come through it, but obviously not. I've got Rublev getting to round four. I think he might lose to Bautista Sugu or maybe even Auger Aliassim, but I think maybe similar to, I think, you know, Nick, Nick Kyrgios. I think Rublev will be found out maybe by someone like an RBA in terms of that sort of rock solid wall that Rublev, I, you know, his one dimensionalness, I just think will maybe just not have any answers to. So I'm, I'm saying round four for Rublev. Uh, and then for the women, I've got Kerber going out in round three, uh, which I'm feeling a little bit confident about. I think she will lose to Coco Goff. Um, I've got Pliskova getting to the semi-finals, and then I've got Sabalenka getting to the quarterfinals. I think she will lose to Krejcikova in the quarterfinals. I don't think, even though she's the second seed, I don't see her getting to the final. I just think, again, I just think that Krejcikova is a bit too smart for Sabalenka, and it will be able to will be able to kind of nullify that that threat that she poses with her power if if that match happens i have no idea if it will but that's what i've gone for i know what you mean joel i i know what you mean um <laughs> yeah i've gone for quite similar to be fair as i think a lot of people have i've obviously gone for novak to win i had gone catching off quarterfinal i thought it was gonna get there but lose to zverev but you know alas uh rublev i've gone for the third round because i think he would be due to play francis tfo and i've got tfo to get the upset there um Kerber, I've gone for round four because I think that she will get through against either Stevens or Goff, I think it would be, but she's going to lose to Osaka. And then Pliskova, I've got semi-finals losing to Barty and Sabalenka, I've got runner-up losing to Barty. So um, we will see how all of that pans out. But yeah, we'll be updating everyone as it goes along. Um, there's, I think, been three people who have got uh, Kachanov correct with a first round loss. So well done. Uh, I think it was Chris Kneebone, Tom Bryant and Top Spin Lobber. So well done to you three because... Um, they're much smarter than both of us, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just quickly look ahead to the night session. Um, got Djokovic coming up against Holger Rune of Denmark. And then we've got Andrescu, uh, you know, kind of the defending champion, seeing as she wasn't there last year, um, against Golubic. Now, I sense an upset with Golubic, uh, Andrescu. I think Golubic could um, throw a spanner in the works. Definitely. And, and, uh, we're, and, Weirdly, actually, I'm just looking at Djokovic Rune. That that for me sounds a little bit like you know, with uh, you know, Rune is another upcoming player uh, from you know, from Denmark. Um, very similar sort of looking match on paper to you know when Djokovic faced Jack Draper. Um, you know, Wimbledon, another upcoming player from Brit- you know from Great Britain. I don't I don't envisage Rune getting a set, uh, nicking a set like Jack Draper did. I can see that being quite. I can see that being quite, um, quite rude, quite elementary and straightforward. I, I may even think Rune might be, um, overawed by the situation. I think he will just take it all in as an, you know, as an, a learning, you know, a learning experience. But yeah, I think certainly on Ash, I think that the more interesting match might be that Andrescu versus Golubic match because certainly the form Andrescu's in at the moment, it's not like it was a few seasons ago where you would have said this, this is a match where she would just win routinely, maybe even in straight sets. But you certainly think Golubic has got a chance to, to win it in three. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then on Armstrong, we've got Alison Risk against Pavlochenkova, and then mm. we've got Taylor Fritz against ADM. I feel like Fritz ADM could be five sets. Uh, I think that that's pretty equal. Uh, I think Fritz might actually come through that one, but you know, with a, with a home crowd advantage, but, um, we will yeah. see. We'll be eating our words in the morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be back, uh, in, in two days time, Thursday evening, UK time to look back on the second round and all of the action that is going to happen. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to this round one, round by round catch up with the passing shot. Remember, if you want to stay up to date on all the action at the US Open, then make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, and all good podcasting platforms out there. And you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? Yes. And thank you to everyone who has recently left us uh, comments on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really does make our day to read your mm. lovely words. So thank you ever so much for taking the time to do that. Um, and don't forget, you can also follow us on social media if you don't already. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow and tell all your friends about us as well if they're watching the US Open and want to keep more up to date with everything going on in the tennis world all year. Um, you can also get in touch uh, via email passingshotpod at gmail.com and do check out our website as well www.thepassingshot.co.uk and we will be back on thursday evening uk time at passing shot hq to look back on round two as part of our round by round coverage of the us open so i hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon (laughs) 